comes Alan Shearer. It's Shearer for you, Gunther! The way he brought that down was fabulous. Cantonar. So you keep trying and trying and trying and keep trying and keep trying. Now, just to finish, do you know that what was the result? 3 0. 3 0. Do you know what this means? 3 0. But also mean 3 premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect, 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 man, respect, respect, respect. Another big, big failure for Jose Mourinho and Manchester United to start this Premier League season. He was in no mood for anything in his press conference, and you heard that in his voice there. Bryce Conway, Alex Grant, with me, Stuart Marshall for the Shooting Czars Premier League podcast episode four. Gents, you're over in Perth. I'm in Sydney. What were your initial thoughts on Jose Mourinho's antics post-match? Bryce, we'll start with you. Um, I think it, there was a sense of finality to it. I mean, he, he went over to the Stratford end and it seemed like a bit of a, a strange clap, slow clap even to the fans and he had this kind of resigned look on his face, clapping them and someone threw a scarf out. It was all very grim and... It seemed like it was a bit of a curtain call for him, but I'm sure it's not going to be the case. He's going to get sacked straight away, but this may be his final days and he was just trying to soak in the atmosphere of Old Trafford. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He sort of, it had that sort of feel. It had a real weird feel, and you could even see it on his face, I thought, when he was doing that slow, uh, slow clap on the ground after the game. Alex, you're a fan. What do you think of Jose Mourinho? What's your honest opinion of the man after the latest loss against Tottenham at home? Well, when he was going three, 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 I thought that I thought he was going to tell us that he was only going to be staying three years, like he does at all the other clubs. But yeah. he went off and told us that he um, he's obviously won three Premier League titles and that he demands respect um, from the journalists. But the performance itself from United was a positive one, despite the result. Um, there was a lot of individual performances that needed praise as well. Um, Luke Shaw being one of the standouts. Uh, I think Fred had a good game as well. And and, and Pogba uh, put in a solid performance as well after his disappointing display against Brighton last week. But obviously the mistakes at the back again have cost United. You mentioned, you mentioned the mistakes. Lindelof came on and nearly had another near one of the worst gaffes ever. The back pass that Deli Alley sort of cut off. But... Quickly on Mourinho to finish him off. I mean, what do you? It's such weird antics that he did in his post-match presser. He just seems very wound up and very frustrated. Clearly, because he thinks the team are playing well, and they did play well, as you mentioned. But a very childish way to deal with the situation. Do you not think, Alex? And is it really something that you want to see from a manager? I don't think. Do you agree? I think. Yeah, I think he's just in a really vulnerable position at the moment, and something he's he's not used to. Um, the, look, these are the cards he's been dealt. He's gone to Ed Woodward in the off season and told told him that he he wants a certain caliber of defender or player, and he's not been un- allowed the funds to to make those purchases. And we saw Toby Alderweireld coast through the game last night and put in a, a solid performance. And you know, it, it's funny watching the game and, and looking at the quality on the, on the opposition, thinking, "Well, if we had if we had him, 
you know, it might have been a different story last night. Um, with well, with the addition of maybe Maguire as well, if who we spoke about last week, maybe he was potentially joining United in the off season. That's a really good point. I mean, you're talking about how you look on the other, you look at Spurs and how good their side is, but and that's been Pochettino didn't spend a cent over the summer, and that's been developing players and developing a squad, and something that Mourinho has obviously failed to do with his squad, and he's obviously quite rattled right now, and I think you see his response. You know, storming out of a press conference, demanding respect from the journos, and I just, I just think he's he's rattled. He's definitely under the cosh. But I think one player performance and something that stood out for me so far. I think the past two matches against Brighton when they lost, and then obviously this game against Spurs is Lukaku. I mean, obviously his touch has been under a lot of scrutiny even in the World Cup, but. He had a golden chance against Brighton to open the scoring and then United opened the scoring and that can change a match and he had a golden opportunity again with an open goal and the goal was at his mercy and he misses the target and that could have put United 1-0 up in this game again and I think if your striker isn't burying those chances to put yourselves 1-0 up and then you find yourself without a goal after 50 or so minutes and you can see it's very deflating for the rest of the team and I think Lukaku, I mean, he's someone who should be under uh, quite a bit of scrutiny right now. Do you think that the um, the players themselves are looking at the the manager and 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 seeing him wound up in in the press conferences after games and and seeing him um, obviously vocalize his frustrations in the media and do you think that's having a negative effect on um, United's performances and that maybe his approach needs to change where he just takes a step back and stops complaining because if you think about it all preseason he winched about the squad he had that if. If my manager was whinging about the plays he had, that's going to have a bit of an effect on me. I I'd say big time, and I think yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of managers try and take the pressure off their players, you know. But and I feel like Mourinho this time, and he said to the media, like, if I complain about my players, this is in, this was in the wake of the Brighton loss. If I criticise my players, you guys will have a go at me. You guys being the journos. So this time, and I think he's used this as a tactic throughout his managerial career. So he'll take the pressure off the players by, you know creating a bit of a circus off the pitch, you know, clapping at fans, you know, rushing out of the press conference, storming out, and it creates like a bit of a diversion. People are focused on his antics rather than the players' individual performances, you know, to a you know a greater emphasis. I feel like people are more focused on that rubbish than what actually happened on the pitch. But I, I, I just think this may be another one of his tactics, but this time it just seems a bit too erratic and a bit too, yeah, I think it it just seems all over the shop. But then you see him try and he went over and you know had an arm around Luke Shaw after the game, someone who he effectively bullied last season, and then try to put an arm around Pogba, who there's much you know conjecture about if there there's a working relationship there or if things are really really not working between them. The body language shown from Pogba was not not good um, towards Mourinho, so I think there's definitely been a breakdown in relationship there, but. I think you raise a really good point there, Grant. You're like, the players must see this nonsense and just be like, mate, can you get on with it and just coach us? Well, Alex, I want to ask you, seeing as you asked the question, I suppose you're a player. I mean, you haven't really been in a situation like that, and I assume you won't, but like, do you, as players, read into what coaches are saying in the media? And I suppose you would know better than anyone that if a coach is saying something in, in the media or in public, you ought to take notice of it, aren't you? Yeah, look, I've I can't honestly say I've ever been in a situation where the where I've had a manager bad mouth the team in any way, so I can't really relate to what maybe the players are going through at Man United right now. Um, 
Well, yeah, well, I, I, personally, I think it, it would have an effect. I think the, the, on the scheme of things, if you look at Man United are a massive club, they, there'd be no hiding there. Um, if you were a player, you, you'd see it everywhere in the media, on the TV. It's always in front of you. Whereas, well, I'm at Perth going here, league. It's not <laughs> AFL's the big sport in, in Western Australia. So it's probably, I don't see it in the tabloids as much as what maybe they're doing at the moment. So it's a bit easier for me in that sense to deal with. But then I, I just I just remember Kenny was so great at that when he was at Glory and just taking all the focus off the players and talking about the positives and how he can build and there's development and everything like that. But it just seems there's a different style with managers. Mourinho's kind of, I mean, he's at both ends of the spectrum sometimes. When it comes to this, he'll be, you know, lambasting his players of how poor they are all pre-season. Then now it's like, no, nah, there's other things at play. You should be talking about me and all this rubbish. It's just, yeah. I'm really puzzled and I, I'm seriously interested to see what happens. And I think my shout earlier in the podcast series saying he won't last a season might come to fruition. Yeah, it's looking good, definitely. I mean, Reno's an erratic guy. He always has been. So we have to wait and see what, what he does there. But, of course, Manchester United lost at home to Tottenham 3-0 yesterday or this morning it was, on the time we're recording this. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. So that's probably the biggest result of the weekend and not what, United needed after last weekend's loss to Brighton away as well. But big weekend as per usual in the Premier League. We're going to focus on a few fixtures here, not all of them, but Wolves beat uh, City. Uh, Wolves and City played out a one-all draw. Bournemouth and Everton played, a two, played out a two-all draw. Arsenal beat West Ham 3-1 at home. Huddersfield and Cardiff played a nil-all draw. Southampton lost at home to Leicester 2-1. Liverpool beat Brighton 1-0. Uh, Watford beat Crystal Palace 2-1, Fulham beat Burnley 4-2, and Newcastle lost at home to Chelsea 2-1. But we'll go, we'll stick on Spurs here. Uh, Tottenham is looking very positive for Tottenham, isn't it? Lucas Moura, you said it before we went on air, Bryce, Lucas Moura could be the, the, game, the game of his life almost. I think at PSJ, things didn't quite work out the way it was planned for him. Uh, he's a bit of a a bit part player at Pierce and you know, a star-studded side, obviously, over there. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see him kind of relishing the opportunity here in London. And I just think with Son away, he's really taking his opportunity to be that mercurial winger in the side. And I think teams should be very afraid of their threat with Mura and Son in the same team when uh, Son comes back from uh, the Asian Games duty that he's on at the moment with South Korea. Um, but... His goal was his both goals were really well taken, fantastic, and he should have had a penalty in the uh, first half when Phil Jones just bumped him over, and you could see Phil Jones had that guilt laden look all over his face and looked at the referee. So I think Mora was really the catalyst for for an obviously massive three 0 win at Old Trafford, and it's only the third time a London team's won there in the Premier League. Yeah, and interestingly, you mentioned Son there. Um, and for the listeners that may not know and you're wondering where Son is, he's currently away with South Korea, as Bryce mentioned, um, at the Asian Games tournament. Because if he doesn't win the gold medal at the Asian Games, you won't see him for 21 months as he has to go off and do near on two years of national service for South Korea. So the, the law states in South Korea that before, uh, before every man's 28th birthday, they must have done 21 months of national service and the only way they can become exempt of that is if they win a gold medal either an olympic gold medal or a relative gold medal in their sport so yes what do you think about that i mean that'll be peak of his career yeah i know i mean it's pretty unfortunate it's for just, son but uh, yeah and he had a um i saw a photo and they showed the video i said they'd won a penalty and the the lad who was taking it 
um, was stepping up to take it and then Sun had his back turned, like hands over his face, just praying it goes in. Like this, <laughs> this game has like, that has a lot riding on him for his career as well. So I think, um, yeah, best of luck to him because I love watching him. Even though he's playing at Spurs, I love watching him in the Premier League for sure. I wonder what the best. I wonder what the best approach is to go when you're doing that in Korea. I wonder if it's best to get it out of the way early doors or yeah, or do as Sun's done. Well, it just depends. I mean, how many professionals? I mean, obviously, there's professional sportsmen in that country, but I guess it, yeah, it's weird. Like you could do it when you're younger, I suppose. But obviously, Son probably thought he might have won a medal, hence he hasn't done it. Let's hope he wins a medal because we all want to see him playing in the Prem. All right, we'll move on to the Wolves-Man City game, a one-all draw. Uh, Wolves are at home at the Molyneux. Goals to Willie, Bolly, and uh, Laporte for Man City. Obviously, Bolly was a contentious handball. VAR, or do we need VAR? It's a debate for later in the podcast. But Laporte with a bullet header to salvage Man City, a one-all draw. Al, what do you think of uh, this result for Man City? Um, yeah, look, Man City will be disappointed that they didn't get the three points. I think they'll feel pretty hard done by by the uh, Bali goal. It was um, a dubious one of that. Um, obviously, if we have VAR in the Premier League, one of one accounted. So yeah, they'll be uh, pretty naffed off with that one. But I think Wolves can take a lot of positives from it as well. Um, the atmosphere at Mol- Molyneux was unbelievable, um, and and that I think that really set the tone. Especially, I think it's really it's pivotal for these. Small clubs, especially teams that are coming up to, for the fans to create atmosphere, an atmosphere, um, and and it is intimidating, especially for these these foreign players and, and new players who probably aren't used to um, the atmospheres that that they do have in the Premier League, and um, a lot of people it can overcome a lot of people. Um, so I think that that had a massive massive uh, influence on the game. Early doors, especially, and and Wolves set the tone. They they were really physical, got in City's faces, and actually created chances as well. They looked really um, threatening at times. Uh, they probably deserved to take the lead, uh, but City worked their way back into it. Um, and yeah, they, they showed the class in their end. In I the just end. think it was such an open and entertaining game, and I think Wolves have got that class with your Jao Matinhos, your Roy Patricio, and goals. But I think Connor Cody, who was obviously at the um at the uh, Liverpool Academy growing up and went through the ranks there and just couldn't quite crack it at first time. But he's captaining Wolves at the moment. I think he just had that steel and grit to hold it down at the back. And I think it just laid the platforms for the creative players and Ruben Neves as well to just, you know, crack on. I think the open nature of the game was really promising for Wolves. And I, the goal was offside and it was a handball. But, I mean, I think they deserve to get at least one goal in this game. But just... City had plenty of chances. I think Patrizio was fantastic in goal, saving a great long-range strike from Raheem Sterling. So, I mean, cracking game. City dropping their first points of the season. So, I mean, they're in fifth at the moment. And they started last season absolutely on fire. So, it's a bit of a blip already. So, it'll be interesting to see how they react. All right. And so, we mentioned that uh, Wolves' goal was offside and... A handball, and I, I did mention the VAR issue. Obviously, we've spoken about it in our World Cup series and in the early episodes of this series for, for the Premier League about the Premier League not having the VAR. I want to get both your thoughts on this because I'm pretty strong on this, having seen the success of the VAR in the World Cup. I will go to you first from a player's perspective. Obviously, you know, we know your thoughts on it from the World Cup, but 
Do you think the Premier League should have instated the VAR, or do you are you still of the same opinion that you had? I'm I'm still still of the same opinion I had. Um, I don't know if anyone follows the legal, but it was a a big call in the Barcelona game, and it took five minutes or so for the for the decision uh, to get sorted out in in that game, and that's just obviously one of the things that I'm I'm not happy with the fact that it takes a long time. It's a long process. Uh, slows the game down and yeah look, I've already uh, voiced my opinion on VR and I'm I'm still glad that the Premier League doesn't have it it's one thing that sets it apart from the rest at the moment and and that's what I like about it I know it sets it apart in that sense but what happens if when there's a call that needs to be overturned in a big game do you not like hate the thought of that happening and it not being in place to, for the right decision to be made look it's it's happened Throughout the history of the Premier League, um, long may it continue. Do you know what I mean? That, that's what that's that's what I enjoy. That's what that's what I enjoy. Yeah. I, I enjoy that the, the controversy that that brings, and it's something for people to talk about. And, and yeah, look, it it hurts at the time when the decision goes against you, but people get over it. Um, you know, it's, it swings and roundabouts, so it'll sort itself out. I just think. Yeah, look, we saw we when we watched that game, Stu, with uh, Liverpool and West Ham with Mane's goal being clearly offside. I know it didn't affect the result, but then you've got a goal from Boy, and it, it was obviously, obviously not a legal goal, and it's get got them a point against the reigning champions. So that has given a direct impact because there wasn't VAR to help out. And I understand Granty's point in, in you know, interrupting the flow and from a player's perspective how frustrating that would be. So maybe it's maybe the compromise hour would be if, if they do get to a point, hopefully in over the next six months or season, that they're able to next season introduce it where they, they don't have to take so long? Or do you think that's just it's inevitably going to upset the flow too much? I just think, yeah, at, at times it's just... All depends on the referee's opinion, and we saw it in the World Cup final there. And it's just one man's opinion, which has been slightly altered. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It, it's it's getting another point of view that I don't know. The referee it puts the referee in two minds. I find if if a decision goes to VAR, that the referee is then in a way has to has to change his decision. Yeah, it'll be interesting to get. I wish we have like a little counter, a tracker on decisions that would have been clearly overturned by VAR this season and see how it would have affected the table. I think that'd be something to look at. But I think, yeah, it, yeah, someone would be doing that, hopefully. You've got, you've got to hope so. But well, That's it, though. I, I thought that from watching the World Court, the majority of the time when it went to VAR, the decisions were overturned, whether you agree with it or not, in open play. I actually think that creates another level of drama <laughs> which adds to the whole drama of the match, which is something that I didn't think I would like. I didn't think it was the opinion I would have, but I tend to think that the VAR like adds this level of drama, which fans get excited by because you know when like a contentious call. Now, I guess the only thing is people calling for the VAR for any you know at every opportunity they can, ha- uh, every opportunity they can. So, look, I think it'll be it'll. It'll, it'll be in the Premier League sooner sooner rather than later. I don't imagine it staying out of the Premier League if it's in world football for the, you know over the next few years. You imagine that the Premier League will instate it. Just you just I, they must just be waiting on the system to be you know fully kinked out and there to be all the yeah. teething issues to sort of really be out, which may take a few years. Yeah, I think so. I think I agree with that for sure. Alrighty, coming up 
on the Shooting Stars pod. We're going to discuss the England squad, but we'll be back just after this. G'day, this is Adam Peacock from Fox Sports. You're listening to the Shooting Stars podcast. Alrighty, moving on. And Liverpool have cemented their spot at the top of the English Premier League with a, a nice 1-0 victory over Brighton at home. Many people probably would have thought more goals were going to be in this game, but maybe that's a credit to Brighton's uh, quality and um, their performances so far this season, given their result against United as well. Mohamed Salah got the goal in the 23rd minute. Liverpool, another rather professional performance though, Bryce, wouldn't you say? Yeah, big time. I think um, Joe Gomez is having a worldy season so far. I think he'd be a shout for England's selection for their upcoming friendlies. I just think Milner was an absolute warrior again in midfield. Allison looks sharp as anything. I mean, he had one point where a pass back was a bit too short for him and he chipped it over the oncoming Brighton striker and he just showed class with his feet. So that's that's three games and three clean sheets for him. Salah with a great finish. He's continuing his goal-scoring run and for me already proving he wasn't a one-hit wonder with his prolific season last season. I just like... I think the best thing about this result, and it was similar to the Crystal Palace result, was that we may not be playing the most fantastic football, but we're still finding a way to win, and that's often a sign of a side that will be right up there come the pointy end of the season. So I think there's just nothing but positives for Liverpool at the moment. We're top with nine points, and it's only us, Spurs, Chelsea, and Watford who make up the top four that have got that perfect, uh, perfect run, but we are haven't conceded a goal yet, so scored seven and conceded no goal. So it's just happy days, really, at Anfield. And you're and Alex, you mentioned uh, Virgil Van Dijk. He was used in United's side. Another you know monster performance from him, and particularly Trent Alexander Arnold. I'm liking him more and more each week. What are your thoughts on on the defence of Liverpool this season? Yeah, they look really solid, don't they? And I think Jurgen Klopp has has really set up a defence that looks hard to beat. But it goes all the way through the team that. They pressed really well. That's what I like about Liverpool. They've got so much energy. We saw it. We saw it in the first home game against um, West Ham, and they, they just choked choked the defense. I remember Chris Arrow told us use that one. <laughs> yeah. His, um, Strangle, yeah. They did, and that's what they do. And um, it's hard for teams to deal with if you set that intent early doors. Teams can really find it hard to to grab a hold onto the game and, and dictate play and, and that's something that Liverpool have, have managed to do and I think when you've got the energy and, and James Milner like he's so experienced he was he was the man of the match by a mile and it's just having his energy in there in the middle and it, it's going to be hard for Henderson to, to squeeze back in and and get back into the team and, and make a regular starting spot for himself I think Big time I think Milner's making a great case for himself isn't he? Yeah, yeah, Naby Keita is just playing unbelievable. Oh my he looks like an, he looks like a penetrating runs. Yeah, he's got a he's yeah. A I think that's that's something we've liked. We, I mean, since I think Gerard, you know, started not having that athleticism and you know piercing runs through midfield that we've kind of lacked, and I think Keita breaks the line so often it, with his passing and his running as well. So I just think he he's going to be very pivotal to this season for Liverpool for sure. And on the, other, the left side of defence, Andrew Robertson is obviously a big fantasy player, one of the, the highest performing, fan, uh, the best performing fantasy defenders going around at the moment. But I'm interested, obviously, because Alberto Moreno was the starting left back, Bryce, and you can help us out here a bit more. Alberto Moreno was a starting left back over the past few seasons, when, you know, and there was always the issues around him. Robertson was always sort of in the background. How does he sort of 
he's really burst through and really cemented his spot as a starting starting left back, hasn't he? Big time. I think Moreno is a bit of a he's a bit of a forgotten man. He had a he had a horror run when he first came to the club. I think he scored a he started with a bang. He scored a fantastic goal against uh, Tottenham Hotspur at White Hart Lane. I remember just ran from in his own half, dispossessed Townsend who was at this club at the time, and just ran about 50, 60 yards and buried it with his left foot. But since then, it was just. The question marks around Moreno were all about his defensive side of his game. He can attack and whip balls in, but he just couldn't defend. Whereas Robbo's just got he's got such a such energy, such a presence at the back. He'll always work his socks off back and forward. And I think he's a great example of what a modern fullback should be, is someone who can defend first, but then can provide a real threat from out wide with crosses, which he's shown with a number of assists so far this season. And it was just it was interesting. Like he, I remember there was an article I read in his first few, I think three or six months. He was quite a bit frustrated not getting an opportunity on the left. But as soon as he was given that chance by Klopp with Moreno out of favour, he's taken it with both hands and really hasn't looked back. And I think you look at the Kyle Walkers, Mendy's, and you but you look at Robertson now as as an elite fullback in the Premier League. So credit to him. And it's, I think it's always good having a a Scotsman in the Liverpool side. Obviously, so I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. I think him and Mendy are the two best delivering left backs or fullbacks going at the moment. And this particularly performing particularly well so far. But, you know, Liverpool squad, as we've mentioned over the past few pods, there's so much depth there. Shakiri's still not getting a game. Alana can't make his way in. Sturridge, Henderson, and even Matip, who's been a mainstay for Klopp over the past year or so. Nobody to be seen in this yeah, Liverpool side. So very, very positive for them. But we'll move on. And we're going to we're going to focus on Burnley here because we're going to go to the Fulham Burnley match. Fulham obviously got their got their win at home against Burnley four two. Bit of a goal fest there. Mitrovic doing his thing uh, with the double. Sherry with a belter, and Schurler got that goal. Even though I just took him out of my fantasy team, so I didn't get the chocolates there. But oh, spewing, mate, spewing. I know. But let's let's highlight Burnley here. Um, we mentioned it last week with the Europa League hangover, and now we'll go to you here. It's looking more and more that case, isn't it? They just seem a bit lethargic, and they they aren't as tight down back as as they have been in years gone by. And you know, we are anticipating a struggle season for them, aren't we? We we did, yeah, and, and we said that was all down to the the depth they've got in the squad. And although they've signed uh, Gibson from Middlesbrough, I, I don't think, um, and they've made a few other additions as well. I don't think they've got got that depth there to. Um, to maintain uh, a positive run in the Premier League and the Europa League. So, obviously, the 3-1 down on aggregate against Olympiacos, I think it is, um, going into the second leg at home at Turf Moor. I think that'll be that'll be coming up soon. So, it might be a godsend, actually, if they, if they do lose that game. And then they can put their attention back to the Premier League, being a hard team to beat, which we know Burnley are, um, especially at home. Yeah, isn't that isn't that just such a shame that there's this seems to be that curse with making Europa League football that it's just it becomes too much for these smaller clubs like a Burnley when they make it. I mean, it's obviously a goal of the small clubs to reach Europe, got fantastic brand exposure, and you get a lot of cash from it. But it just always seems to happen this, and Burnley are already struggling in the Premier League now, and I think when I mean, they're sitting in 18th spot with one point so far and losing to Olympiacos, like. Bear in mind, the Greek league is an absolute shambles. Right? These teams are not coming in with immense quality into the Europa League. And they just done Burnley 3-1. So I just feel they're under some serious pressure. And Sean Dyche is, I mean, 
he's really got to turn things around sharpish or they could be in a bit of a relegation scrap this season. It might even be a, a blessing for them to get knocked out of the Europa League early in order Big to save time. But isn't that so sad to say? Yeah, no, definitely because it's just uh. like clubs, clubs get so happy that they've made it into Europe but then especially the Europa League and then they don't want to lose their Premier League status. So it's a bit of a hard one to balance in that regard. But Yeah, it begs, it begs the question, how do you become a bigger club then? I know obviously it's financial investments, the obvious one, but if you're aspiring to become a bigger club, when you're the likes of Burnley or you're the likes of Wolves now coming up through the ranks, you just if you get that seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth spot, you really you don't really want to get to Europe because you don't you can't manage it financially. You don't have the capacity to. So it kind of it kind of encourages a sense of mediocrity in coming that ninth, tenth, eleventh where you're, you're lingering in the Premier League, you're getting the cash, the TV deals, and all that, but you're not really becoming a bigger club and giving yourself that platform to kick on. So. I think it's. I think it's a debate that really needs to be discussed, and I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a real interesting thing to watch over the coming years because it just seems to keep happening. It keeps it keeps being detrimental to clubs. You almost need two squads, and I think Arsene Wenger did that with Arsenal last season. He tended to play guys like Theo Walcott and guys that maybe on the periphery of the Premier League side every Thursday night in the Europa League and would rest them. And I think, um, I don't know, managers and how you can weigh in here. I mean, that's. Maybe what managers need to do, don't they? Can you promote youth so much in a competition, like a European competition, do you think? Or do you still need to you know, sign new players and have those senior bodies in a, in a competition as big as the Europa League? Yeah, look, I think the point I emphasise with, with the lack of depth in, in Burnley's squad, uh, if they do get through, they, they probably are going to have to travel with a few youth or reserve players to, to these games in Europe uh, for them to maintain... A bit of consistency in the Premier League because for me the the Premier League is will be their main focus and I know we talked we talked about how well they did last season but that is going to be a tougher challenge with them having to pay, play sixty odd games in all competitions this year if they do make it through to the next round of the Europa League uh, and like we said we've seen teams struggle with it in the past and and it does have a, a detrimental effect on on the league performance home and away. Mm. Yeah, not good. And very interesting times for Burnley. And, of course, they've got, we mentioned it last week, guys like Joe Hart and whatnot. Let's hope the the Burnley players that were making it into that England squad and were in and around the England squad last season can stay in the England squad for the next uh, next round of England fixtures coming up. And, obviously, there's some big news coming out of the England camp and we'll, we'll move on to the England squad and maybe who's going to come into the into the next selection or next um, next squad that Gareth Southgate selects. Alex, we'll get your thoughts on that and maybe who you think can come back into the England side or who can come into the England side for the first time. Yeah, look, um, look there's a couple of players who've, who've been on the fringe of um, the England squads and have been selected in the past um, and have been performing well um, for the clubs, respectively. James James Tarofsky, who's been playing for Berlin, we spoke about Berlin before, but he's, he's won... A defender who, despite them leaking a few goals, he's he's been on the end of a few um, a, f- a few corners um, of late and put himself right in the frame. Um, along with I think Joe Gomez as well, who Bryce touched on earlier. I think Liverpool with them keeping um, so many clean sheets so early in the season, um, he's been a real positive um, sign for them. And um, obviously keeping Matty part of the team, him and um, Van Dijk have kept. A really good relationship, I'd say, at the back, and those two are playing really well at the moment. Luke Shaw is another one, I'd say, 
you could look at maybe coming in. I don't think Lou Shaw will probably break in straight away just because of how long he's been out of the England squad and, and coming back from injury. And I think that Southgate will have will have looked at him over the last two or three weeks and seen how positive he's been and and, and seen the potential there um, for for future games for England. What do you think of? Um... So, you, so you, you mentioned Luke Shaw there. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that because Ashley Young was the starting left back in the England side in the World Cup, and he seemingly regressed or isn't, you know, hasn't been playing as well for Man U. But Luke Shaw seems super sharp, and then looks looks really on this season for United. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him bulk in there. Or do you think it's still too early? Yeah, look, like I just said, he's been playing well over the last couple of weeks for Man United. Um, he's put in performances. Uh, so yeah, I think like I said, Southgate will, will be having keeping him in mind, maybe for the next the next camp or the next set of fixtures. But I think it might be a tad early for him to come right back in. Um, yeah, look, he played Ashley Young there in the World Cup. It's probably a position England need to find a replacement for. I think Luke Shaw is probably the best candidate. We look, we might see him thinking of saying that now. We might see him in there um, just because of the lack of depth in that position. Yeah, interesting. We'll have to wait and see what uh, what happens to the England squad. But Al, to finish this off here for episode four of our Premier League series, you've got uh, a bit more trivia. Oh, no, yeah, you've got a few more stats, sorry. And this is the stat man here with the shooting Zars. Stat yeah, look, I've got a, uh, a few more stats after the weekend um, round of fixtures. One thing I will point out um, for all the Man United fans out there, don't be too disheartened. The last time Man United lost two of the first three games in the Premier League was the 1992 season, uh, where they actually went on to win the league um, by 10 points as well. So... United can pull it back. They can turn the season around, even though it's only been three games. A couple more stats for you. Uh, Laporte's goal for Manchester City was the 1500th goal scored by a French player in the Premier League with only Englishmen scoring more. Um, And finally, Richarlison's red card against Bournemouth was Everton's 91st in the Premier League. And that's more than any other team in the competition. It'll be interesting to see who, who comes in second. And maybe we'll bring that to you on the next episode of the Shooting Zars Prem, pod, Prem Podcast. Al will be back in the studio next week, hopefully, hopefully with a few guests. Have a ripping week at training. You're back at training this week. I am, yeah. Yeah, back in on Thursday. We've had a good week so far. We're just hoping, hoping to get a few fixtures in, um, a few friendlies in now we're at the FFA Cup, but squeeze a few in before the start of the season. Beautiful stuff. We'll look forward to that. Anyway, that was Alex Grant and Bryce Conway with me, Stuart Marshall, for the Shooting Zars Premier League Podcast. We'll be back same time next week to do it all again. Here comes Alan Shearer. It's Shearer!